Maybe also people are confused because I um, I don't enunciate very well. And so when I say cheese, I think I say like tees or jeans. And so that's also created a lot of confusion. Like, ah, jeans monger. Well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I work in the jeans shop. I'm a jeans monger. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Sophie Mosgrove, who is a cheesemonger, which means she's a cheese expert, which means that she gets to work with cheese every single day and eat cheese every single day, which basically makes it the greatest job ever. So we'll discuss that and her life and the different paths for being a cheesemonger. And as well, we are going to go over three different cheeses that I bought prior to the interview that are very different types of cheeses. And uh, Sophie will discuss them all for us and explain the differences between the cheeses and what makes them unique and special and stand out and different things that you can consider when you are picking out cheese at the market. One quick side note, during the episode, I mentioned that I thought I had heard that goat's milk did not contain any casein in it, unlike cow's milk, and that was actually a little bit incorrect. Goat's milk does not include any beta A1 casein. It just has beta A2 casein, and beta A1 is thought to be the more problem-causing casein out of the two types of casein. So that's, I guess, what I was thinking I was referring to when I was saying that goat's milk might be better off for somebody with any sort of milk sensitivities. Now, without further ado, here is Cheesemonger. Sophie, thanks so much for being on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So during the pre-interview when we were talking, you mentioned when you were growing up having a like a Justin Timberlake poster, if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> on your wall. Yeah. And I think like when, you, when you're a young girl and you got your Justin Timberlake poster, there's probably this part of you thinking like, oh man, when I grow up, maybe like just maybe i'm gonna get to like date justin timberlake or meet him or kiss him or something like that and that didn't work out for you but you work with cheese every single day like that you you kind of ended out ended up on top anyways right that's probably better than justin timberlake yeah uh, i would say more often than not i get a response first yeah when i tell people what i do they are often confused but when i told them i get to work with cheese every day most people are like well that's a dream job and without knowing it i think it was for a very long time a dream job yeah so when you say people are confused is that because the title cheesemonger and they're just like are you like uh, warring against cheese and you're yeah that is probably the strangest name that any (laughs) profession has like cheesemonger sounds like you're just trying to overtake the world of cheese or something. Absolutely. It's not a very attractive title. Um, and especially because warmonger and fishmonger tend to be the most predominant uses of the word. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe also people are confused because I um, I don't enunciate very well. And so when I say cheese, I think I say like teas or jeans. And so <laughs> that's also created a lot of confusion. Like, ah, jeansmonger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I work in the jeans shop. I'm a jeans, jeansmonger. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Best in the biz. <laughs> Pick out all the denim. Yep. So do you have any idea where cheesemonger came, like the name cheesemonger what what oh i guess like you just mentioned there is other yeah so i mean the the, from my understanding the word monger itself is basically 
one that like sells or is trying to influence others to become a part of. And so I think I'm not sure what the actual history of in terms of like why cheese was attached to it. But, you know, it's not like there's not like a tech monger or like you weren't like a, you know, sales monger which is a little repetitive yeah but, but i'm definitely going to be a podcast monger yeah going you're forward. a pod i mean i like, suppose what do you I mean, do? <laughs> podcast monger i'm mongering my podcast <laughs> yeah totally you're like why what is that i don't know but it's awesome i'm mongering the hell out of it yeah exactly all day every day <laughs> yeah so talk to us about what i guess the responsibilities are of a cheesemonger like yeah. is it basically just to know a ton about cheese so i mean i would say in terms of what it takes to be a cheesemonger, really what you're doing is selling cheese. Um, where before I was working in cheese shops and selling cheese direct to the public, now what I do is I work for a distributor, which what that means is um, we house cheeses in our warehouse and then contact stores and restaurants and different avenues in which those businesses would sell directly to customers. And so what my day-to-day well, my day to day changes every day, but um, in terms of like major responsibilities, just mostly most importantly, making sure that you're selling great product, which is like management of inventory, rotation, um, following the seasons to make sure that you've got good product, and yeah, and m- most importantly, that what you're selling tastes good and the customers are going to want it. So you're saying managing inventory and the dates. I mean, most cheese is is aged, so but it's aged, but then needs to be consumed within a certain amount of time yeah so with with cheese and actually just with food in general like you know there is a finite period of time in which you should consume something and there's certainly like a peak of when it's best consumed you also have with cheese like such a wide variety of ages and so you've got things that are super fresh like fresh chev or mozzarellas or things that are certainly meant to be consumed within a few days of being made versus cheeses that are made that are made to be eaten at a much longer longevity in their life so Parmesans, cheddars, things that are aged between a couple of months to years and years. And so you think about if something's been aged for a lot longer, it's probably going to have a lot longer shelf life in terms of not only what one we have, but also like if you take it home, like, is this going to rot in my fridge? Well, if you have a chunk of Parmesan, probably not. But your mozzarella, you don't want to keep that more than like a week or so. Otherwise, it's going to start smelling pretty bad. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So... Why did you move from the retail side where you got to talk to people about cheese to the distributor side? Is that just a money difference? Uh, well, it really, it, it, it was certainly um, a transition in my life that I think I'd been in retail for about five or six years, which is really fun getting to talk to the general public about stuff. But it can be really taxing. You usually have to work weekends and long hours. Um and an opportunity came up for the distributor that I work for now. Um, I still get to talk to people who know a lot about cheese, but they happen to be chefs and, you know, cheesemongers. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Of, like who I like the positions that I used to hold. And so um, the transition, I think, was trying to explore new avenues, seeing the more back end side of things like we do direct importing from Italy and Europe. And so we get to see I you know, we get to see like kind of the more logistical back end of how things are actually brought into the US, yeah. which is a whole nother ball of wax, which is very complicated and frustrating sometimes. But um, so it was I think the natural progression of my career within the industry just led me to moving a little bit farther away from the direct consumer, but still being really involved with the cheese side of things. Yeah. How did you get started in this industry to begin with? Were you just like, cheese freaking rules i'm gonna work with it this is happening 
Long story short, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, so, like, I feel like this is a kind of a, like a five part answer, or maybe a, I'll give you the abridged version. But mostly, um, <laughs> I graduated from college in 2008, and I had been working at a local grocery store there that had a pretty decent cheese selection, and I'd been really drawn to it, and just kind of made it my responsibility to like make sure it looked nice and just like facing everything and merchandising a little bit. And as many remember, 2008 was during the financial crash and recession and nobody was hiring. And also I was having a quarter life crisis and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life and had moved back to San Francisco and Calgary Creamery was hiring um, and started working there and just immediately fell in love with their philosophy and getting to eat cheese all day long, which is kind of what I was doing before, but now I got to do it for a job. And I was just learning so much. And I, I feel like I gained a lot of momentum in terms of moving up in the company a little bit. And then I just perpetuated to where I am now, which is eight years later. So it's just things kept, yeah, just kept being exciting and like keeping me engaged and, you know, being involved in a community that's evolving in a way that you know, how, what the cheese community is today is certainly not what it was when I started. And that's really exciting to see. And yeah, definitely. So earlier on the show or, or an earlier episode, I interviewed a uh, small and he, it, you know, went over the career path of a small which we all kind of already know. Anyways, it's like you could be um, a master small a grand small And it's like, there's all these doors that open up for you. Then if you manage to reach one of these higher echelons of being a small is there anything like that with a cheesemonger? Like, what is the career progression like for a cheesemonger? Is it just to start making your own cheese at a certain point? Or? Yeah, I mean, so I think within the cheese community, there's kind of two avenues. You've got the you got the people who are on the store level or working in a, in a way that provides cheese to the store level, which is kind of the side that I'm on. Um, and then I think cheese making in itself is like such another avenue it's very scientific it's a lot more solitary um and so some people choose that wanting to really not be around a lot of people whereas i think the mongering side is a lot more social and you get to talk about it but in terms of like how one progresses in the career i think what's fantastic about cheese industry is that you can kind of pick and choose and make it however you want there are certain certificates that you can get um that are issued through different agencies like you can become a certified cheese professional which is a, a recent um test i suppose that you know kind of gives you a certification much not i don't think it has the same weight that being like a master sommelier brings it at least not yet but um you know people certainly tack that onto their business cards and things to kind of prove that they are knowledgeable in the field and there's a couple other you know mostly in europe i think it's a little bit more distinguished i would say yeah. um so but in terms of like most folks that i know in the industry well, I will start on the store level and get really involved, like, you know, being the monger. And then they either move up to being the store manager or the store buyer or getting into the more back end things like doing the distributing and doing the purchasing for um, for distributors and, and, that, and that nature. On the distributor side, do you have to taste a lot of cheeses like people from different farms or whatever will come to you and be like, try this, try this, try this? Yeah, we get a lot of samples. Um, most of them are not great. <laughs> um, so you know you got to kind of it's the it's the give and take of the awesomeness where it's you know you get to taste cheese a lot but some of the stuff you get to taste is like not delicious that's so funny that's exactly what sam said the sommelier that i interviewed and it, 
like I can't I guess I can't imagine how refined your palate must get with something that that is even a statement that you would make. Like I've had maybe like two cheeses in my <laughs> life that I was like, yeah, that's not that good. But like everything else, I'm like, that's cheese. So whatever. Yeah, I think you also I mean, especially working directly with consumers and then working on the the back end of things like you really get to know what customers palates are looking for. Um, you know, like, for example, we tasted this cheese the other day that had truffles in it. And, like, people are obsessed with truffles. Most cheesemongers, you ask, don't really care about truffles. Oh, dude, I'm like a <laughs> cheesemonger at heart. I hate truffles. Like, yeah. people are like, oh, I have these truffle fries. I'm yeah. like, that, no, thank you. That yeah. is no good. So it's like, you know, it's. but that being said, it's certainly a big marketing point for, for cheeses. You know, you put truffles on it and people get really excited about it. Within the range of truffle cheeses, you have some actually pretty fantastic ones, and then you have some pretty crappy ones as well. And so the other day, we tasted this truffle cheese that I was very surprised by and really liked. And it, you, you, you think about the complexity of it, what carries it, is it predominantly the truffle, is it predominantly the cheese, is it mar- are the two flavors marrying well, um, and does it taste natural? Because a lot of times with truffle stuff, they add in um, additives that are like substitute flavors that mm. are synthetic. And, you know, you can kind of taste like a little just like, oh, that's not that's not so great. But, yeah, totally. If you're eating like a, a five dollar wedge of truffle cheese, it's probably not. Yeah, it's it's price is often a good indicator. But that being said, you know, it's it's such a I feel like there's no written rule like with wine, I would imagine as well. You know, you're you could pick up a 20 bottle $20 bottle of wine that would is fantastic. Um, and then you're, you know, you may have also purchased a hundred dollar bottle of wine that's corked or what have you know. So it's it, the spectrum of prices can sometimes be a good indicator, but really the best way to know if something is something you like is to try it. Yeah. <laughs> so talk to us about the fact that you, so you taste cheese every single day. Pretty much. Are you now a cheese snob? Like, if someone tastes wine every single day, I would imagine that if they get like a $5 bottle of wine that a lot of people are buying at a grocery store and taking home to their family, they're just like, I can't even drink that anymore. If you get like um, just nachos at like a Mexican restaurant that has just like Mexican cheese blend on it, are you just like, Mm-mm, I need this on it? And So I think when I first started, I, re- I was more of the pretentious like cheese snob and would be like very, you know, picky about stuff but i've come to realize that there is kind of there's a place for every type of cheese um and whether it is the mexican cheese blend or the high-end cheese plate that you're putting together it's kind of just like what fits best in the situation and you know there is no substitute for queso uh, like while you're watching you know like a baseball game like you know it's like you need Velveeta to make queso it's disgusting like <laughs> yeah. but there's no substitute for it yeah you know same thing like if you're making uh like a cacio e pepe like you're not gonna put Velveeta in your cacio e pepe like whoa, you whoa, whoa. what is what is this <laughs> oh. word you're saying this sounds awesome basically it's just like it's an Italian pasta dish where you put a lot of cheese and a lot of pepper in it but you're not gonna use your Mexican cheese blend, you know, you want a good quality pecorino that you're going to grate in there because that's one of the main flavors of the cheese or of the dishes. So but I I'm certainly of the mentality that there is ne- like definitely a time and a place for all cheeses. I, I would I would like to think I'm kind of a. Uh, I'll, I'll take cheese in any in any like at any time, given the circumstances, like 
that's just <laughs> awesome. It's your true love, you know? It is, you know, and it's it's a it's a passion that I've been able to make a career out of, which is great. And yeah, there's there's I mean there are certainly cheeses that I don't like to eat and I would prefer not to and you know, I'm not going to eat it purely because I love cheese, but um you know, I think that I'm I'm certainly not one to poo-poo cheese because you like bought it at Safeway or whatever. Yeah, know? yeah. So, okay, well, these were not bought at Safeway. Yeah. So let's go ahead and transition to the cheeses that I bought yes. and the cheese that you brought as well. Right. So we have a nice melange going on here. So uh, this is either going to be the least interesting part of the interview <laughs> or the most interesting part of the interview where we talk about these cheeses that no one else can see that right. are right in front or of us right now. Or taste for that matter. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I've already kind of had these, so I don't need to keep going through these and tasting these. Um, but I tried to get a different assortment of cheeses, and I want you to be able to tell me some stuff about the cheeses and what makes them different and what makes them good and what makes them whatever. So, all right, this first cheese right here is a soft cheese that my wife and I got uh, last night. And we loved it so much that I immediately bought it again today. It was super good. So this, uh, all I saw on the label last night, which, so this is how much you know cheese, is that you came in tonight, you saw this cheese, which like could have been a bajillion other cheeses, and you're like, oh, that's the wrong label on that cheese. This is a, that's actually this other cheese. And then my wife got home, and she's like, yeah, that that's not what it was called last night. It is something else. So what what is this first cheese called? Uh, that is called Harbison. Okay. So that is a, what, soft cow's milk cheese? Yeah, so um, the category would be considered soft ripened, which means that it, um, basically, it for th- those of you who are not cheese professionals, if you think of a piece of brie or camembert and how it kind of has like a nice pillowy white rind around the outside of the cheese, um, there are different molds that are that the cheesemaker will add to the recipe to encourage that kind of growth and that combination is is called soft ripened when you say encourage that kind of growth you mean encourage the growth of the rind mm-hmm. encur- yeah well so the rind is actually a naturally growing thing around yeah, the cheese absolutely i would um of the cheeses that are on the plate right now yeah i would think everything has a natural rind in it so um Little Cheese 101. So you've got natural rinded cheeses. You've got washed rinded cheeses, which we can go into as well. And then you've got cheeses that have some kind of coating. And there's they use um, often something called plastic coat or some kind of synthetic. Um, if you think about like Manchegos or um, some cheddars, they have the wax around the outside. Yeah. So that... I would recommend not eating. They're I was going to say, like, they should let you know that. Like, I mean, plastic coat, that does not sound very good to be eating. Yeah, mo- I would say a good rule of thumb is if you're curious about it and you want to take a bite and it's like, doesn't taste like anything or is kind of chewy, maybe don't eat it. But, you know, teach their own if you want to chow on some plastic cheese, like, by all means, go yeah, for it. you probably did worse stuff when you were a kid. Exactly. Whatever. Yeah, whatever. Um but so in terms of the cheese that we have right now, the Harbison, um, so soft ripen, it is cow's milk. Um, it comes from a dairy in Vermont called Jasper Hill Farms, and they are... Yeah, you really know about this oh, cheese. Oh, yeah. Oh, I sell, I've sold the shit out of this cheese. This is actually, <laughs> by coincidence, one of my favorite cheeses. Oh, really? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with it... Um, it wasn't that expensive either. I will... The, which is also funny because the store you buy it from, the markup on it is incredibly low. Because I've also purchased Harbison from, uh, what is it, Good? The Good Life? The Good Life, uh, yeah. I, and I bought it specifically because the price was so cheap. That's so funny because everything else <laughs> at The Good Life is really, really expensive. expensive. I know, so. <laughs> and I thought the same thing. I was like, they must have, whatever. Their, their margins may be a little wonky with that one. But um, 
So you also may have noticed that there's this uh, bark around the outside. Yeah. So what she's referring to right now is there's actual tree bark around the very back of the cheese. Yeah. So it, so in its entirety, the whole piece, if it were left together, is probably about two thirds of a pound. And if you were to like make a C and a backward C with your fingers and put them together to make a circle, it's probably going to be about that size in its entirety, more or less. And the circumference of the cheese is wrapped with what I believe is spruce bark. Um, I may be misremembering that, but um, which is a traditional style that comes from kind of like the Swiss French Alps area. And you see more so with some winter cheeses, but Jasper Hill Farms does a really good job of kind of emulating some European classics, but putting like an American twist on them, and so they're kind of. Does that somehow permeate the cheese flavor wise? Yeah, or absolutely. That possibly do. Yeah. So when the, I just remember the first time I tasted this cheese, I was just kind of hit with this wall of flavor where it was getting like, like really woodsy and barky, and then it also, you know, there's some, sometimes can be some garlic and onion notes to it, and then you've got the really creamy uh texture of the paste which really coats the palate and it's a little bit fatty and just like it just is this whole i mean it's like it's truly a a range of flavor that just really struck me and when it's one of the reasons why i love this cheese and that it it never at least is yet to disappoint me i feel like it's really consistent it always has this like range of flavors that are really that meld well together you just made my night. The fact that you liked one of the cheeses that I bought. This is super awesome. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. I would, I would highly recommend if you see Harvison, definitely pick it up. It's even worth the price when it's overpriced at other stores. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so really quickly, before we move on to the next cheese, you mentioned a, what was it, uh, natural rind versus yeah. a washed rind? Washed what? rind. Yeah. So washed rinds, I, um, you know, one of the more classics. When people think of really stinky cheeses, that's going to be your washed rind, like Limburger, Epoise, um, Telegios, things of that nature, which, you Are know. Are those all hard cheeses? I only really know of Limburger. Um, Limburger is, Limburger is like, uh, it's, it usually comes in like there's uh, Limburger and onions or, you know, it's kind of a little brick and it's got a wash. And when I say washed rind, that means that the cheese is literally washed with something Generally, it's brine, like a salt water solution. Sometimes they do wine or sometimes they do beer, depending on the flavors they're wanting to get. But what comes of it is another one that people might be familiar with is Red Hawk from Calgo Creamery. So like if you look at the rind, it kind of takes on a ruddy reddish hue to it. And what that is are um, if it's natural, it's a type of bacteria that's growing on there that's called B linens that turn rather than having a white rind it turns it kind of orangish mm-hmm. around the exterior which also helps develop the flavor which is um gonna kind of give it that more stinky sock quality which some people love and some people find to be very offensive <laughs> that doesn't sound too Delicious. appealing yeah the the other thing about being a monger is the finesse of how to explain otherwise not delicious sounding things sound delicious yeah, and so totally. perhaps a stinky sock is maybe the first reaction you think of but you could say something more about it being pungent and being aromatic and having a bit more of a um i mean for a lack i mean literally back of lack of a better word is a strong flavor you know like when people think of strong cheeses that's like kind of the realm we're getting into yeah yeah definitely um so why would one want a washed rind versus a just completely natural rind 
Um, that it really boils down to what you're looking for in flavor. If you want something a little bit heartier, stronger, um, you know, if you if you're wanting it to compete with some other maybe bolder flavors you're having either with your cheese plate or for dinner, um, you know, that's a realm that you can go into. You the know, wash, the wash, the wash rinds, yeah. Um, and some people don't like wash rinds because they are too intense for them, and so you you can go with more of your milder. Soft ripened cheeses that tend to suit the um, just pe- the, the suit the palate that wants a a lighter flavor, and then not to say that they're I not feel like that's such a misnomer then because you hear washed rind, you're like, oh, they washed it, like, it's, it's so clean. It, yeah, no, the washed rind definitely. I feel like they get a bad rap, much like with you know goat's milk cheeses. People are just like, oh, I don't, I don't like it. It's you know too strong or too stinky. But I, th- I kind of feel like there is a cheese. Every type of cheese, there's a one that will, there's even one for the haters, if, yeah. if you know what I mean. Like, yeah. So, you know, even in the spectrum of stinky cheeses, you still have a very wide range of like mild stinky cheeses and then like really, really stinky cheeses. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, I like one of my favorite types of cheese, like I'm sure most people just because it's common and great is brie. And I, I'm like, I personally prefer a very mild brie, mm-hmm. but man, like some brie's are just so pungent. It's yeah. just crazy. It's unbelievable to me that they're even the same cheese. Yeah. You know? Well, what's interesting about brie too is, and I'm going to, I'm actually going to put on my little like snobby cheesemonger hat for a second is that, um, so the brie we get in the U S or that we sell in the U S rather is not actually real brie. Um, because for a number of reasons one is um there is a law in the u.s that says you cannot sell cheeses that are made with raw milk that are aged less than 60 days um and brie which is an aoc protected cheese which is like in wine you know you have um designations based off of region and country of origin and things of that nature where that type of wine or that type of cheese can only be made in that specific area. Right. So it's, you know, there's DOP, AOC, there in I think in Spain it's DO. So there's, you know, there's certain qualifiers that basically nobody can make this cheese unless you are in you're making it with this ingredient in this area, you know, on this farm, blah, 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 blah. So Brie is technically one of those cheeses. And um, it needs to come from a very particular region just outside of Paris. Um, and it needs to be made with raw milk. It needs to be a certain diameter. Um, there's a handful of other uh, rules, much like the the mold that it's being made with. Um, and because of a lot of those factors. That's so silly. That basically means that the person that originally made whatever the thing was is just a total asshole. <laughs> Like, basically copywriting there right exactly yeah. like who who isn't just like wow i made this awesome thing like everyone should enjoy it like nope i'm making it that's it if you want it you get it here yeah. no one else can make this well i mean there's definitely two sides to it one of which is like i mean in by all accounts and this certainly is happening like you can make brie everywhere else just technically it's not brie cause it's not coming from that region but when it really started and many people don't know this is actually roquefort which is a blue cheese from france was the first um, product to have a designation of of region in terms of like I think Roquefort was the first one and then the wine started picking up on it and it was really more of a way to preserve tradition within these regions and I and you know you think about just like especially today how everything is intertwined and a lot of traditions are getting lost this was a a, a way to 
help maintain like what the yeah, oranges really and point. histories are totally. of these, you know, very, you know, some of these, some of the areas in Europe have been producing cheeses for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so in order to be able to protect your kind of your livelihood too, I think they needed to kind of market it in a way that's like, this is, this is where you get this from. And, you know, if you wanted to get something else delicious, you can go over to that that area over there, and they have delicious stuff as well. But um, I wonder what they did wrong versus or what Champagne did right because Champagne, like yeah. you will not if if I'm not totally mistaken about this, everything else truly is car is called sparkling wine. Like mm-hmm. they can't even say Champagne. Yeah. Um, versus Brie, you see that it, everywhere, but apparently just incorrectly called. It's everywhere. really it's interesting, and I've actually wondered the same thing because there are certainly markets and, and cheeses as well that like have a lot of backing behind them that really enforce it. And I don't know if it was just yeah. I really I act, I've act, thought that same question. And I don't know how it is that Brie kind of slipped through the cracks with the with the, all the quote unquote knockoffs, if you if you will, because there are a lot of knockoffs and they are mostly very terrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but um, I think we kind of strayed away from the original question. But in terms, oh, you were saying just like how different they can all be. Yeah. And um, so I, true brie brie de mo, which is what all the French eat, um, is it does tend to be a little bit more pungent than what. I think most Americans are used to in terms of what you can buy at the grocery store. And that, and that has evolved as well as just sort of like a lot of our lack of cheese history within the U S you know, like we are, we were not, we're a dairy producing country. We're not really a cheese producing country. And so our, it's certainly evolving. And I would say in the last 15, 20 years, it's the American palate is changing, but um, we do tend to go for the kind of milder stuff. And I think that's where the result of some of the, milder breeze coming in but also what some of the funkier breeze may have also just been because it's been sitting around for too long yeah totally good point yeah all right i'm gonna tell myself i'm having like the good fresh stuff yeah and that's it yeah it's funny the uh my this breeze story that i have a couple weeks ago i was at the good life the Uh place where i got these cheeses i was at the good life and i was looking around the cheese area to try to pick out a cheese to get and I pick up this piece of brie and this guy comes by next to me and he's like, Hey man, like you getting some cheese. You, you had that cheese, but just like out of the blue, like, I don't know this guy. Like, Hey man, you getting that cheese. You had that cheese before. And I look at him. I'm like, Oh no. Like I never have. Like, have you had it before? Is it good? And he, he, he like looks over my shoulder, looks at it. He's like, what, what is that? Brie? Bry? Brie. Yeah. 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 I, th- I think I have had that. I'm, I'm not really like a cheese expert though. And I turned to him. I was like, no kidding, you're not a cheese expert. Like you just called it bry. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I can guess that you're not a cheese expert. Yeah. And I'm, uh, with a lot of, with most things, people kind of like to interject their opinions about, <laughs> even if they don't even have an opinion, they just want to talk to you about yeah. cheese. I really need to start doing that to people at grocery stores now. It's a, like that's a good way to just kind of introduce yourself to somebody. Yeah. Like look at what they're looking at. Be like. What is that? Fruit Loops? Yeah. Fruit Loops. Are, are those good? You know much about those Fruit Loops? <laughs> just hear what people have to say. Yeah, know? they're just like picking up like some frozen chicken breasts. You're like, <laughs> you had those before? Those are great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. No, no, don't. The Foster Farms. Yeah. I'm telling you, the Where's extra it? dollar. It's Ch- worth it. Chicken braised? <laughs> what is that? Chicken braised. Braised. Yes, braised. I've, I've had that. I think I've had that before. It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. 
All right, so the second cheese that we have here. Um, so I tried to get different types of cheeses that we can discuss. So yeah. the second cheese that I have here is a hard cheese. Mm-hmm. It's also a cow's milk cheese. Mm-hmm. The main point that I wanted to discuss is this cheese is orange, but it's not a cheddar cheese, which yeah. I've never really seen. First of all, I'm sure we can go into a long diatribe, which maybe oh, later yeah. about what makes um, something quote-unquote cheddar, quote-unquote brie, or whatever it is. Because, for instance, like the cheese that you brought, like, that tastes like a million breeze I've had before. Mm-hmm. So well, to your point, I guess these non breeze that I've had before. Sure. <laughs> but so if I taste one cheese, it might taste so similar to another cheese that mm-hmm. I don't even get how you're classifying that. So yeah. we'll get into that in a second. But so what what is this cheese called? It's called Mimolette. Okay. Um and so I as I do with all cheeses, I have, you know, a a, a novel of things I can talk about with this one as well. Oh, so um, you know this cheese already. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The only so I would normally never pick up a cheese like this because mm-hmm. it looked very strange to me. Yeah. But it was the only big orange cheese that yeah, was not cheddar. cheddar. Okay. And I was like, what? Ma- so the main thing I wanted to discuss with this is what makes a cheese orange. That's a great question. That's a fantastic question. Okay. So um, the history with this cheese and actually short cheddars that are orange as well um, now is that they are dyed with a seed called a natto. And a natto is a, is a seed that's found, I believe, in South America, which was used to dye fabrics, mostly. How it ended up in France is beyond me, probably the trade system that was going on way back when Napoleon was around. But um, how it ended up in cheddar, I do know, is that way back in the day of cheddar, when cheddars were being made most cheddars um most cheese were made from pasture-raised cows and pasture-raised cows the milk that they produce tends to be a bit more yellow or orange um not not cheddar orange but you know uh not white basically it's like kind of like a buttermilk color even a little bit richer i'm sorry so just for everyone to clear this up when you're saying pasteurized you mean like pasture raised pasture pasture fed raised not pasteurized not pasteurized pasteurized yeah pasteurized is when you warm your heat your milk pasture raised and so these are these are cows that are basically free grass-fed free-ranging eating all the the fun funky things that are out in the fields in england um and when they were producing them the cheeses the cheeses were actually a little bit yellow or orange depending on what they were eating totally i love that so i drink bulletproof coffee which i won't get into right now (laughs) um but so i always get grass-fed butter for that and just in general always get grass-fed butter and i love it because it's yellow yeah and whenever i like open up my butter and i see that it's yellow and then if i like go somewhere else and they just have this white butter right I'm just like, there's like no nutrients in yeah. that butter. Like it's just bleached white. Like that just, it flavor. looks like there's yeah. no nutrients in it, you know? Absolutely. So basically what started happening is that, um, you know, mass production started happening and we start bringing cows indoors and they start getting fed things that aren't grasses and the color of the milk changes and it becomes more white. And what that starts doing is changing the color of the cheese which becomes white and so in order to kind of continue not i i don't i'm sure there was actually a conversation about like being deceptive to the customers but basically to in order to keep it looking similar to what the customers were getting they started adding the dye into it Hmm. um and then i think it kind of just got a little out of control and with at least with cheddars and um it's now they're very, very orange. Uh, with the Mimolette, I have heard that. So Mimolette 
um, is a, is a French. Uh, when it's in its whole wheel, it looks like a cantaloupe. Um, and, sorry, I have so many things I can talk about with this cheese. Um, but one of the things I've heard about, well, one of the rumors I've heard about Mimolette is that um, King Henry, or one of the old kings, and my French history is terrible, um, wanted to stop importing products. There's like an 80% chance it was a Henry of some kind. <laughs> of some kind, so yeah. Or Charles, probably Henry, yeah. yeah. There was, it was one of the kings of, yeah, of, <laughs> of many eras ago. And he wanted to stop relying on imports from the Dutch. And so, and they have a cheese called Edom, which is pretty similar to this cheese. Um, and he wanted, but I guess orange was the royal color. And so he wanted this cheese to be orange because it was going to be the royal cheese. Um, and they weren't going to get the Edom from the Netherlands anymore. And so they were going to bring this in. And so he wanted it to be the king's cheese. Um, and that's the his, that's the rumor behind it, whether or not that's true. There's also a rumor that Napoleon used them as cannonballs during his his warmongering times but that's so um, crazy a lot of this tends to be cheese maybe gossip. that's how the name cheesemonger came about yeah. was he was warmongering with cheese, with cheese. and it's like oh the cheese totally yeah. absolutely um so the other question i had about this uh well two more really quick is one the fact that it's a hard cheese versus a soft cheese mm-hmm. what makes a cheese one versus the other um age mostly um recipe as well what kind of uh Basically, when you when you break down cheese into its basic recipe, you have milk, salt, rennet, and some kind of lactic starter. And younger cheeses require are ten or well, younger cheeses are just that they're um, younger. They're not you know you're looking between a few days to a month or so, maybe a little bit older, um, and they tend to be a little bit softer. With with time comes firmness, generally speaking. Um, and also the... That's why Parmesans are like rock hard. Rock hard, yeah. I mean, most most Parmesans you're going to get are going to be aged at least six months. You know, they make them up to like seven, eight, ten years. And, you know, they're you know hard as a rock. Um, and it does really boil down to the recipe as well. Like the the balance of the, uh, the different ingredients and what kind of um, molds and stuff that you're using. But, it, yeah, it definitely age as well is is like it's going to encourage a, a firmer a firmer cheese for sure okay um the last one he, oh sorry one more question on this hard cheese is that there's holes in it mm-hmm. a few holes what yeah makes so a hole in cheese? um holes are in the cheese world are called eyes and what it is is uh, so cheese is is it lacto ferments and so what it's re- what it'll do is it's releasing gases and as it's doing that when it ages the gases create little bubbles and then they end up getting sealed in as the rind develops around it. And so there's like these little gases that get trapped that, um, that are stuck in the, yes. How the hell is a cheese made that doesn't have holes in it then? Um, that depends a lot on what the animals eat. And again, what kind of ferment like lactic acid that they're using with the, um, with the cheese. So like Emmental or like Emmental is like that classic Swiss cheese that you think about that has the big holes and stuff. You want that. Like they want, you know, that's a desired quality of that cheese. Mm -hmm. Um, we get, we get this one cheese from a farmer who's local and, um, you know, sometimes we get these wheels that have just so many little holes in them. And he was like, oh, the cows were eating wet grass. And when they started digesting it, it started like fermenting in their bellies. And like it just produced a milk that was a little bit more 
it had more gas in it basically and so and so that produced a cheese with more eyes in it basically that's so crazy that just makes me think about just our diet and mm-hmm. what we do and stuff like that yeah. the fact that it's like oh they wet grass this time instead of dry grass <laughs> so they got gassy and it changed the way that they felt and whatever else and here we are and you just eat like oh, oh i just yeah. had like a uh, quadruple cheeseburger with some french fries <laughs> and uh yeah, my back hurts a little bit. Yeah. I'm not sure why. I think, I mean, I, th- I think your body, well, when you start getting like the upset rumbly belly, that's like maybe the <laughs> the wet grass syndrome of, yeah, yeah. For, for what cows experience, presumably. I don't know. But. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, last cheese down here on the end that I got is a goat cheese. Um, the reason that I got this is twofold, just so we can discuss a goat cheese versus a cow milk cheese. The other thing being that I got the herb version of the goat cheese. And I wanted to see if the uh, cheese snob world would be like, oh, my God, like there's something else mixed into that cheese. So if you get, for instance, a cheese, it's like cracked pepper goat cheese or, you know, like this herb something Mm -hmm. cheese. Is that just like, why are you bastardizing the cheese with some other type of food? Yeah, absolutely. So um, to answer the second question first, I guess, um, there are certainly cheese purists, and I would consider myself to be one of them. However, going back to my original, I'm not a cheese snob. There's a place for every cheese. Like, you know, there yeah. is totally a place in my experience and what I would use this cheese for, um, you know, would go great in omelets or, you know, you put it in a salad. But in, there are a couple of cheeses out there that I think get a little bit too creative with what they put on the cheeses um there's one that has coffee grinds and lavender around the outside which i just find to be so repulsive yeah that's pretty weird it's pretty weird but people really like it and you know and and it's certainly i remember when i worked at um cowgirl creamery we would sell a ton of it because it's i feel like it's just weird enough that people like get really excited about it you know there is a fine line between something being too weird versus like people can kind of get behind it um it also just created the most enormous mess ever because they're just coffee grinds all over the counter all the time. Yeah. So in terms of my personal preference, I do tend to like cheeses that don't have a lot of things added into them other than the main ingredients that comprise cheese. Um, maybe is also one of the reasons why I don't love truffle cheeses. But um, but that said, there's a time and a place for everything. Um, but delving into a little bit more about goat's milk cheeses. So more you'll see mostly cheeses from cow sheep or goat's milk um and they'll all bring in different uh characteristics basically um and also actually uh, buffalo milk is also becoming kind of a popular option as well with goat's milk specifically um it tends to be very a lot easier for people who tend to have uh like lactose sensitivities, Um, goat's milk tends to have a little bit less lactose in it, so it can be easier for people to digest goat's milk than cow's milk. Cow's milk has a lot of lactose in it. Yeah, so let me add on that really quickly. So I sometimes have problems with um, milk and milk products and stuff like that. That being said, uh, you know, I don't know if it's lactose or what it is. Um, Something that I learned about goat's milk and therefore goat's cheese and milk in general is that I guess a large part of the time people think that maybe they have a lactose sensitivity, but really it's a sensitive sensitivity to casein. I guess mm-hmm. a lot of people have sensitivities to casein, but they don't really know that. Yeah. And what I heard, and maybe you can confirm this, 
is that goat's milk has no casein in it. There's just no casein whatsoever. And that, the, yeah, the lactose is like a third less or so than huh. uh, cow's milk cheese. I have not heard that about goat's milk, but that doesn't mean it's not true. I would ha- I'll have to consult Google later. Yeah, I, don't, yeah. I don't know if that's true or not. But definitely um, milk proteins definitely are a, another, a num- another factor in people's sensitivities, which I think does get misdiagnosed as lactose because they kind of go hand in hand. Yeah, people um, have just heard of lactose intolerance and then they don't do well with milk, so they immediately just say oh it must be totally absolutely um and that being said you know there are certainly people who are super sensitive to all types of milk and like you know goat's milk is not the the remedy for everyone but um goat's milk is also a lot leaner meaning there's not a lot of butter fat in it um cow's milk also being on the exact opposite end of the spectrum with having a lot of butter fat in there and so um and different breeds of cows produce milks with uh a variety of what am I trying to say? They, like a uh, different breeds of cows produce milks with different levels of buttermilk as well. So, um, but with goats, uh, they also they, they have a leaner milk, so it's a little, it's not as a fatty milk. So if you think about goat's milk cheeses and how it's kind of um, you get kind of like a gritty texture to it, yeah. or like a chalky texture sometimes what we call it, um, versus you know your breeze that you had a much creamier, smoother texture. Totally, and I'm just thinking as you as you talk about all this of just in general with goat's milk, there's like something very like earthy about it, and I guess that that's there's not as much fat masking it, so you're just actually tasting more of what that goat ate. Yeah, I mean definitely, and um, yeah. Sorry, I like zoned out for a second. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. I'm but, just like theorizing weird stuff about cheese when you actually know what you're no, talking about. No, I mean about, there so. there is certainly a whole science behind cheese that like I could I wouldn't even pretend to be an expert on. Like making cheese is a science that is so incredibly fascinating and so incredibly difficult. And like I topically understand enough to be a cheesemonger, but not certainly one to be like a cheese maker, yeah. if that makes sense. Like I have dabbled with making, you know, like fresh cheeses in my kitchen, but I I would need to go through a number of classes in order to even become close to like understanding like all of the science and biology and chemistry that go into like making actually physically making cheeses. Like I could only imagine, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a true science and an art form as well. It's like it's you know, it's it's a fine balance of of experience and really understanding your animals and your and what concept like what you're trying to make and it's it's a trial and error for sure as well. Yeah, well, I'm still impressed. I can't even believe that you even knew the cheeses that I bought. <laughs> That's crazy to me. Um, so really quickly, let's talk about what makes a cheese a cheese to mm-hmm. the point of I've tasted breeze that tastes really similar to some other uh, soft white cheese that I couldn't pronounce the name of. Why is one called a brie and one just some other brand of cheese that I don't know? Yeah, so I think a lot of that will have to do with um, where it's or either originating from or coming from. So like I was mentioning with brie, you know, it is technically supposed to come from from France, it's from, supposed to come from Mo. Cheddar technically is supposed to come from a really small area in England and in an area called Somerset. Coupled with the fact that cheddar is cheddared, there, there's a verb to cheddar something, and that means you like cut the curds in a specific way and you stack them and you express the way, and that's why you get cheddars that are really dense and you don't see a lot of eyes in cheddars because it, like they really uh, squeeze the curds together to make it the way get out. Hmm. Um, 
But I would, but in terms of cheese names, at least within Europe, it's very, it, it's a lot of history. It really boils down to um, either where it's from, like the mountain it's made on, or the small region it's made in, or the farmer who, you know, started making it originally. Um, in the U.S., what we, what I find a lot more is it's the names um, are more of an like they attribute are attributed to like a family member or a, or one of the animals that the milk comes from. Um, so, for example, like Blondie's Best is a cheese that we work with, and Blondie w- was the name of one of the farmer's cows, and so. This is interesting. So now that I think about it, yeah, any of the like quote unquote new world cheeses, like let's say Cowgirl Creamery, for mm-hmm. example, like all the names of the cheeses, like Red Hawk or whatever else, are just some cool, hip, awesome new totally. name. They, yeah. have, they have no like legacy name yeah. attached to them whatsoever. That's so different from the wine world where you actually have a clone, yeah. uh, you know, grafted onto your vines mm-hmm. uh, that is going to make like that exact grape yeah. that somebody else already made. So I kind of figured that the answer to that question was going to be, um, it depends on what type of bacteria you use. Mm-hmm. That's what will give you a certain type of cheese. Um, and that's, but- and that's certainly true. Like, you know, you're going to need certain strains of more. So, I mean, I guess this, this question has many different answers but in terms of in terms of like the type of cheese that you're looking to produce you certainly will need different types of mold depending on that um but the names i feel like not only reflect the recipe but historically in terms of european cheese especially it's where they were made how they're made in the recipe um and then for yeah new world or american cheeses it's because you can still make a brie-like cheese in the U.S., but you don't necessarily have to call it brie. You can call it, you know, Nancy's Camembert, which is a cheese that comes out of, um, I think they're Vermont as well. Ooh, I'm losing my cheese knowledge. <laughs> no uh, worries. Yeah, but, so, but I think that also, I mean, you know, again, my very topical understanding of wine as well, where I feel like in France you have these chateaus that, like, have these legacy names that, you know, you need to kind of keep it under the same domain versus in you know you go to napa valley and you've got all these crazy names for wine that really don't give you any indication of like what the type of grape is unless you read the back of the label right and maybe and maybe that's too far of a stretch of a comparison but i don't know i feel like there's a lot more leeway in the u.s in terms of like who can make what and where and how and then like what you name it because there isn't this locked in tradition of like of you know your identity basically you know especially nowadays people just want to do cool stuff totally and i think that that's really neat you know whereas europe has these fantastic cheeses and certainly american cheeses wouldn't be where they are without the influence of that but you know they're kind of set in their ways and especially with government regulations like in europe you you know can only make certain cheeses in different areas Mm -hmm. where in the u.s there's a lot more freedom with in creativity, you know, much like, you know, with the uh, Harbison going back to the first cheese we were talking about where like if Jasper Hill Farms wanted to open up a farm in, you know, in England and do this, it, I feel like they would have a lot more pushback because this is not a traditionally English cheese. Like, yeah. it's you know, but in the U.S., it's we're kind of like, we'll just test it out. And if we like it, it's going to do well. And if the American palate doesn't like it, then, 
you know, you'll try something else out. But there's just a lot more freedom to express the uh, curiosity in terms of like what kind of cheese you want to make. There's really no limit. Totally. Well, I think that's lucky to the consumer here in the attitude. I think everything to your point boils down to the dollar. I, you know, I mean, here we have box wine. My friend the other day was telling me about this canned wine Mm -hmm. that this restaurant like just brought in. It was actually this really good wine out of a can. It's like I can't even fathom something like that going down in, your, you know, like totally. in Burgundy or yeah. something like oh, that. Yeah, they're like, That's yeah. never going to happen. But in Burgundy, the reason why people are traveling there is to have a glass of Burgundy from mm-hmm. Burgundy. And they're very aware of that, just as aware as some young startup winery in California is of, hey, if we put this crap in a can, I bet you we're going to sell a lot of it because nobody it. else yeah. is making it in cans. Absolutely. And everyone has to do what's going to be right for for your for your consumers. And yeah. I think that. You know, I can't speak for everyone, but I think that, you know, paying tribute to the, um, you know, how history in Europe has, like, helped encourage cheese production. Like, I certainly don't think we can turn a blind eye to that in the U.S. Um, I think we definitely need to acknowledge that, you know, while Europe is certainly, like, they have <laughs> they have a lot of years on us in terms of experience, like, you know, we we need to pay homage to that, but with also being able to like exercise our, you know, figuring out what we want to what we want to eat and like what we want to try and see in the market as well. So yeah, that was a long winded answer. <laughs> no, no worries. All right, let's wind down the episode by giving people some different types of advice. So for one, give us a couple bullet points that if someone goes to the market, buys some cheese tonight, what are some things that they can try to taste in that cheese, like things that you might go over in your own head? Yeah. So obviously the first thing, you know, you want to look at the appearance. Is it soft or hard? Um, And you can kind of go and, you know, the flavor profiles you'll experience from that are going to be depending on the texture. Um, So say, for example, if you're getting a harder one, um, what a really good way to really taste the cheese is if you take a little piece, um, probably like the size of a dime and um, kind of mash it between your tongue and the roof of your mouth and kind of make a little paste and you just like let that coat your tongue. Um, That will give you the best overall flavor profile of the cheese. I'm going to do that in like two minutes. Yeah. I'm really excited. now. That's like a good way. I mean, and that'll, and the flavors you'll start to pick up will develop the more familiar become with, um, you know, different types of cheeses and flavors and things like that. But what you're going to want to look for is like how salty it is. Um, do you find it to be sharp or is it milder? You know, and sharp is like when it's going to kind of hit the side of your tongues, like sharp, you think about cheddars tend to be a little bit sharp. Parmesan's can be a little bit sharp and that's kind of like the acidity of it. Um, or is it maybe a little bit more richer, a little bit nuttier, um, get into the the realms of like Gruyere's or Comtes. Those tend to have a bit more of a rounded flavor. You can get kind of like some walnut and peanut qualities in those. Um, And that, uh, you know, in that there's, you know, that'll go into some chocolate notes as well, but (laughs) different episode, I suppose. Um, (laughs) um, And then, and then how does it linger? How does it like once you've swallowed it, how does it linger? Is it is it a is it the flavor gone immediately or does you feel like your palate's really coated? Um, how does what are the flavors that are left on your palate after you're done eating it? And, you know, some cheeses, you know, the flavors just dissipate and others like they really like have a lasting, you know, can really like get the grit in your um, 
in your teeth and your <laughs> that sounds gross but yeah and then um <laughs> but in, like i mean there's also like the textural aspect of it too like some cheeses have what people sometimes call um flavor crystals which is actually um it's protein that's hardened within the cheese i've ha- god what cheese do i get that's like this i know exactly what you're talking about yeah. and i'm always like i don't know if this cheese is good or like what's yeah. happening no, so it's it's a hardening of the proteins. You find it a lot in um, in Parmesans and um, some older Gruyeres. Aged cheeses, you'll find it mostly. Um, and it's it's people get like excited about them. I think that's really funny. But they're um, yeah, they're Goudas too. Actually, Goudas get them a lot when they get aged. But yes, it was a Gouda that yeah. I had for sure. I love that they call it flavor crystals. Flavor that's crystals. Yeah, great. it's like well, if you were actually like to just eat it on its own, I don't think it tastes very good, but. Certainly, like that's like a fun way to think about e- eating cheese, like just eating a bunch of little flavor crystals. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so go ahead and give us your top three to five recommendations of a cheese that somebody could pick up at a market, regardless of what their taste is like. Let's just go with what your taste is like. Yeah. So um, definitely one thing is like knowing your audience. But I would say that in my experience, softer cheeses do tend to be crowd pleasers in general. Um, Triple creams especially, they're buttery and mild, and I think the texture is really, I don't want to say the word comforting, but it's its its a familiar texture that people tend to really gravitate towards. Um, so if if you're, for example, trying to pick out three to five cheeses for a plate, I the creamiest ones I would tend to get bigger pieces of because they tend to go the fastest. Um, I also like to put odd numbers of cheeses on plates and i think like three five seven you know that it just kind of aesthetically looks better and also it's just it's a you can get a good variety between you know three cheese you can still get a good variety of stuff and five cheeses as well but yeah um maybe that's that's just aesthetics i don't know for all of the totally ocd (laughs) cheese eaters out there they gotta go with odd numbers only. odd numbers only please um so for, yeah, for first creamy, something like a triple cream, um, most stores will have a cheese called Briat Savaron. Um, that's your pretty classic standard triple cream. Um, they come in nice little wedges that are easy for eating. Um, for a second one, another th- fun thing to think about is mixing up the milk types. And so if you're having a cow's milk, maybe doing a sheep or a goat's milk just to give it a little bit more um, fun. It's just fun to like kind of taste how different uh, milks compare with other types of milk. Definitely. And so, um, for let's maybe do like an aged sheep's milk. You can do maybe some Basque style cheeses or some um, other like French um, aged like shepherd cheeses. Like Abbe de Bellac is a really it's a great cl- crowd pleaser. It's sheep's milk. Sheep's milk does tend to be a little bit fattier, so it's got a nice um, a really it'll, it'll even though it's a firmer cheese, it'll really coat the palate. It's got some really nice nutty flavors. It's got kind of some like sea salt qualities to it as well. Um, and then for a third, I know you're not a blue lover, so I'm not going to suggest that. But that's always a good one, to, like kind of a ringer to throw in there. <laughs> Just like really test the waters. But uh, you could do a goat um, just to to mix it up a little bit as well. Um and what's fun with goat's milk is, especially as they get older, they tend to get a little bit sweeter. Hmm. Um, so I've been seeing a lot more like goat goudas that have been coming out recently. And those take on a lot more like candied quality to it, like almost like candied fruit, which is really fun. Um, so that could be a nice like variety of 
flavors at least and and textures too if you got the creamy and the couple to like a couple hard ones as well just to like do a little a flight of cheeses to see you know how each one are expressed how the different milk types are expressed in the cheeses um yeah that sounds awesome <laughs> we're all gonna go out get a totally odd number of cheeses Please, for <laughs> sure and try to mix it up yeah sophie thanks so much for the advice awesome thanks Blake. this was great take care yeah <laughs>